I had a weird, yeah, I don't know if you've ever had this, I had a weird phone call yesterday, and it's happened to me a couple of times, but a guy rings up, and it's, it's, English isn't his first language, and the line's not great, and it's wardrobes, fitted, and it, it's not, and then he says, and it just needs sort of stretching a bit to make it fit. Um. Okay. And and I'm thinking, uh, okay, sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not, uh, uh, bad line, didn't, didn't quite catch that. Could you say that again? So yeah, yeah. So see, we had the wardrobes fitted, and we've had to roll the carpet back, and now it's rolled back again. It's not, you know, it, where we had a cutout before. It's not quite. It's not. Is it? Can you? Can you sort of stretch it a bit to make and put grippers around to make it fit? I said, I'm sorry. I think we're we're talking across purposes. I'm a, I'm a carpenter and cabinet maker, not a carpet fitter. <laughs> and he said, what, what is it? Is it just like too small a job for you then? What? I said no. Um, uh, it's it's just that I don't. I'm I'm a carpenter. I work with I make I make wardrobes and shelves and things. I don't do carpets. Oh, well, I looked at your website. You said. <laughs> <laughs> On well, that note, welcome back to the Measuring Gut Podcast, the UK's first and as far as we're concerned favourite commercial joinery podcast. I'm Peter Millard, and as well as running a virtual 10-minute workshop for YouTube, I run a small but far from perfectly formed carpentry, cabinet making, and what the heck, carpet fitting business in the no man's land of West London. You'll have to be careful what you're saying there. You'll get loads of inquiries. <laughs> and I'm Andy McClellan, and I run a cabinet making joinery business thing up in Newcastle upon Tyne. And every couple of weeks we get together and we have a nice little chat about woodworking and running a small business and running a small workshop and the joys of self-employment, all from the perspective of the north of England and the south of England. And uh, what is today's show about, Peter? Uh, I think it's about carpet fitting, isn't it? Do you do, you do carpet fitting then, Andy? Um, I am the world's worst. You know, the, there's two jobs that I refuse to do, and even back in the handyman days, I refused to do them. And one was carpet fitting and one was plastering. Mm. Uh, I cannot plaster oh, and yeah. I cannot do carpet fitting. I've tried carpet fitting in my own house. Yeah, I can do a lot of filling and sanding. Oh, I'm, I'm um, expert on filling and sanding. <laughs> expert on filling but, and sanding. plastering. I mean, I, I've tried... Even on my own projects, you know, it's like, oh, go on, I'll try my hand at it just in that little area and I'll try plastering up that section of wall. Honestly, I I had one section of wall. A plasterer would have had it done in like 20 minutes. I was on it for best part of like two weeks or something, you know, it was... Yeah, I I can do, I can just about do drywall... Taping and... Yankee-style drywall, taping and taping and filling. But actual proper plastering, no, it it just, I I don't know how you do it. I just don't know. It doesn't make sense. Um, It's an absolute dark art uh, and same with carpet fitting every time i like sit in certain rooms and you look at the carpet that's like intricately weaved around the the loo and the sink and then round little yep. corners and it's like i can understand how you do one bit of it but if i got that bit right it would throw out the other bits so I, I just, yeah. it just makes no sense yeah, to me no, I, I honestly just leave it leave it to somebody else completely hats off to all the carpet fitters and plasterers out there. Absolutely. And if there are any uh, carpet fitters in West London who are in the need of a, a small job, I know a guy who needs a carpet stretching and refitting around a wardrobe that I didn't make. Yeah, because we've got trades from all across the spectrum listening to the show now, which we do, is yeah. really nice to know. We've, we've got all sorts of people, electricians and general builders and bricklayers and all, all sorts of people who are, are providing feedback to the show. So welcome aboard 
absolutely everyone. And if you're not a tradesperson and you just like to hear about what life is like behind the wheel of a small workshop, um, then a massive welcome to all of you as well. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many obstacles in the road uh, when you have a small workshop or a small business. Uh, that, that's one of the topics I wanted to sort of touch on today. Because it's, uh, we get a lot of questions, a lot of inquiries about the mechanics of the woodworking side of things, glues and screws, you know, joints and machinery and all that kind of stuff. But that's the easy part. The The real challenge is finding the customers, keeping the customers and keeping the business running on a relatively straight and narrow road whilst weaving around all these obstacles and impediments that are, are seemingly thrown in our way for no good reason. I discovered today that I'm not going to be able to drive my van into central London. Um, not that I ever did, but uh, there's an ultra-low emission zone that comes into force on the 8th of April, and uh, I, am, I do not qualify. I, you know, of course, I could, I could pay because then all, all those nasty, toxic emissions will go away, won't they? If you pay the extra £12.50 a day or whatever I it is. I think if you pay enough money, they just disappear and it's just fairy dust comes out your exhaust. That's right, you're fine. No, no, just, you know, pay us an extra twelve fifty a day on top of the congestion charge and the tea charge and we'll, we'll turn a blind eye kind of thing. Um, so so that comes in. Uh, I, I, I rarely go into the central London anyway, to be honest, to, to, uh, to do that sort of stuff. Uh, but from October 2021, it will actually be across the whole of London, between the North and South Circulars. So uh, I will need to get another van or not be not be working by then. Oh, is it down to the emissions of your specific vehicle then? Uh, it's down to uh, emissions generally, but my, my vehicle is non-compliant. So it's, it's, it's either had to be made, you can't make it compliant. Um, it's down to the, the type of catalytic converter that's got. In it, it's it's not a Cat Six um, compliant vehicle. So uh, wow, that's that. There'll be there'll be lots of uh, lots of cheaper vehicles if you are out of London on the market in about a year or two, as people are trying to get rid. That's crazy. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. Interestingly, they're putting a similar thing in in Newcastle. Believe it or not, are they? Well, I was going to ask actually. Um, I mean, at the minute, there's nothing like that. Obviously, there's no congestion zone or anything yeah. like that. But there are rumours at the minute that they're going to be implementing some sort of toll for uh, crossing the river, um, for literally driving across uh, the River Tyne. Goodness. Um, because obviously we've got a lot of bridges over the river, plus two tunnels, um, and that is the major congestion point yes. in the city. And, um, yeah, they're talking about putting some sort of toll or levy on crossing the river, from what I've heard. I don't know the full ins and outs of it, it was one of those things that I heard it was getting banded about in a kind of, oh, we're discussing this as some sort of, you know, uh, and then yeah. I was chatting to someone else and they were like, oh, no, it's it's coming in. It's it's definitely coming in. And I was like, it's for really? Real. That's mm, crazy. Amazing. I mean, for Newcastle, you know, I you mean. You can understand that in London to a certain extent because there was a lot of traffic and, you know, there, there's a lot of traffic, a lot of fumes, as we found out when I did my toxic fruit, I think it was uh, – <laughs> video stood behind my my van with a little uh toxic meter working and uh yes it was the emissions were pretty nasty pretty fast i mean don't get i, I get it and i get why they're doing this stuff but sometimes i think they need to let people just catch up you know it's not fair 
to turn around to however many hundreds of thousands of tradespeople and just say, right, either stump up or change your vehicle. I mean, at least give a... Yeah. To be fair, for, to, to Transport for London, uh, on the website, they do they do say, you're subject to the, the ultra-low emission zone. From 8th of April, you need to pay the daily charge. Your options, uh, and option number one, of course, is the one that we would all go for, uh, avoid driving by walking, cycling, or using public transport. And they conveniently give a link for us to, uh, to be able to plan our journey. Now, how much of the three cubic metres of crap I carry in the back of my van do you think I'll be able to take on public transport? You know, you should, ju- you should just try it. Not very much. That would make a brilliant video. Get the entire contents of the back of your van and just stand at a bus stop with it. I should, actually. Yeah, that'd be great. That, that would be hilarious. And just try and get on a bus and see what happens. And uh, that, uh, that, would, that would be a brilliant yeah. video. Uh, or, or upgrade your vehicle to meet the required yearly Z standards. Or pay the daily charge. What a surprise. You can just pay your way out of it again. It's basically just pay the daily charge, which is... Which is fine for now. But, of course, when... Uh, the ULEZ zone covers the whole of London, which is North and South Circular. Uh, you literally, just just by having the vehicle, you, you would end up having to pay the daily charge, whether you move yeah. it or not. So Ultimately, it just makes everything more expensive for the customer, doesn't it? Does. it? I mean, there's no, it doesn't really fix anything. It just puts the prices up for the, for the customer because everyone will have to put the prices up yeah. to, to cover this. And I read somewhere that, the vast majority of emissions emitted by a vehicle, so the vast majority of emissions that are are generated during a vehicle's lifetime are actually created at the time of manufacture. So we want to stop using cars, not... uh, Sorry, we want to stop making cars and vehicles, not necessarily stopping from using them. Yeah. I say, I I do get it. I do understand it. it. It's all about the pollution in our immediate environment uh and as we've we've talked touched on briefly before electric vehicles are obviously the way to go for uh city travel if if that's what you need but uh yeah it's it's just you know time after time after time we get these these impediments in our way of of carrying out our trade i think with a lot of this sort of stuff and it comes back down to you know everything from gdpr and cookie policies and yep. and all of that side of things um the the article that i published recently about uh, the moss eu vat thing which i don't know if yes, you I saw, that. saw that or not but basically some rulings were brought in back in january 2015 it doesn't probably doesn't really affect many people listening to this show but it certainly affects uh, us potentially um if we ever want to sell digital plans and downloads and things like that via our websites, which is often a thing that that people like us will do. Yeah. And um, the EU brought in some legislation back in January 2015, basically meaning that there is no VAT threshold. Bearing in mind, we're both under the VAT threshold, so we don't charge VAT. Yeah. But that no longer applies for digital downloads. So you would have to charge VAT... And not only that, it, they complicate it further by saying that the VAT rate has to be paid not depending on our VAT rate, but, but depending on the VAT rate of the person who's <laughs> buying the plan. And that would potentially mean registering for VAT in 28 separate EU countries. Yeah, that's going to happen. Filing, and filing quarterly VAT returns in 28 
separate EU countries. So they brought in this new thing called the the Moss scheme. Yeah. Uh, mini, mini one-stop shop. Don't get me started about that. Anyway, and that basically simplified it slightly, but then the UK revoked it all <laughs> on the 1st of January this year and put in a 10 grand or a 10 euro threshold. So at least we don't have the 85 grand threshold that you have for any other business. But instead, for this one thing, if you're selling digital downloads, it's a €10,000 threshold. But okay, at least there's a threshold there. But depending on what happens with Brexit, we might lose that because that, that EU, that sorry, the 10K threshold is an, is an EU-wide thing. It still doesn't help people in America selling digital plans no. to anyone in Europe. I've yet to see anyone in America charging me VAT. So they're obviously just kind of brushing over it and um, either ignoring it or they don't know about it. But the whole point of – sorry, gone off on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah. This ruling came in because of Amazon selling their Kindle books via Luxembourg, who had really low VAT rates. Yeah. So the EU's response to that was, right, okay, we'll prevent that by changing it so that it's not dependent on where the company's located, it's dependent on where the buyer is located. And they switched the whole VAT regime upside down. And as a consequence, little guys like us get caught in the net. Yeah. And Amazon, they'll just either pay the fine and don't care because they've got so much money, or they'll get their massive legal teams to just come up with other tax loopholes to get round it. They don't care, but it massively impacts yeah. the likes of us, you know. It, and it's these, it's these little things that we're constantly, constantly running into as small businesses, like mm. congestion charges and parking problems, and yep. it, it's becoming very, very difficult. I mean, uh, way, way more difficult than it was twenty years ago. Yes, uh, to to run and manage a small business. So the bureaucracy around things, not just I'm not having a, not even going to get into the Brexit thing, but this is a global. Uh, just don't mention, don't mention the B word, okay? No, no, no. But this isn't just an EU thing. This is a, a UK thing. It's an EU thing. It's a worldwide thing, because the the laws of how everything works worldwide haven't caught up with the fact that everything is global now. Yeah. And uh, as a result, they're putting in all these interim little measures and fixes without really thinking them through. And all of the all of these little interim measures and fixes, they're crippling for small businesses, mm. but do very very little to resolve the overarching problem of yeah. giant conglomerates who are now bigger than countries. Exactly, and all these MPs who vote on this stuff, uh, you know, they they witter on about how it isn't onerous for a small. What do they know what onerous is? They don't even don't even open their own post for goodness sake. Well. So people yeah. to do that which we pay for by the way and that's if they understand the legislation in the first place and and uh, well yeah, quite so quite yeah. it's it's yeah. very frustrating i wish the powers that be would listen to shows like this and get a better understanding of how difficult it really really is you know we constantly get people getting in touch with the show saying you know we want to charge more but we can't charge any more because Customers don't want to pay anymore, mm -hmm. but if we don't, if I don't charge anymore, I might as well just shut the business down. Yeah. And because I can't physically make any money with the rates that I'm currently charging, yep. and then you know, working twenty-hour days and all that sort of thing, and I'm hearing it across the board. 
yes, we're, we're unbelievably busy, but we're not making any money. We're not making any money, yeah. 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 And, it, and it is easy to say, well, charge more, you know, do, you know, up your game, go, you know, market yourself to a wealthier type of customer. Well, you know, all those other customers still need stuff doing. Um, and as much as we would like to only work for rich folks, you know, the reality is we don't all live in that world and all people from all walks of life need stuff doing. I, I got my uh, bookcases delivered and installed yesterday, finally. My three little fluted frame bookcases that have been sort of rumbling on for a while. If you uh, caught up with me on on, on Instagram, uh, you'll have seen <laughs> a job full of mistakes, this particular thing. Are you allowed to talk uh, about that job or...? I'm, I'm allowed to talk about it, but not, yeah, the, the, not the end user. No, I can't really say. But it's it's a, a, a prominent house in London, one of several, uh, which is you know you have to go through very rigorous security controls to get in there, and uh, it actually went in and fitted in absolutely perfectly. Thankfully, I was on on the drive over there. I was dreading it to be perfectly honest because oh lord, you know I've had so many problems with this job. And even though they're only three relatively small bookcases, to get them in there, I've got to carry them up you know, three flights of stairs and you can't park close by and you've got to go round and through a courtyard and all this sort of stuff. And if they didn't fit, it would be just a, you know, I'd have to carry them all out again above from anything else. It would be a nightmare. Uh, but they they just, it was the easiest, most straightforward install I think I've ever done. They just sort of slotted straight in. Uh, and remarkably for such an old property, uh, dates back to the 1500s. Uh, the floors, the walls were all over the place, but the floors are really straight and level, so uh, didn't even have to chalk any of the feet up or anything. It was all, they just sort of went in and sat. Although I did have a moment, uh, there are three, uh, again, it's been a, this job's been a, a long time in the making, has been rubbling on for a long time, and, uh, you know, you can't always remember what you had planned in your in your mind's eye for for what the reality is when you get there. So you, I got there and I thought I put one of the bookcases in just to make sure because these these are going in where there's an angle. Uh, it's in a in a roof space, an attic apartment kind of thing, uh, and the angle of the roof comes in and there are dormer windows. So a couple of bookcases in one of these dormers and one in another. And I had in in from memory I had these set that the bookcases filled the dormers. And when I got there, these dormers are huge. It's a big house, you know. Uh, and then there's, I realised there's a socket as well. Crikey, I hadn't, I hadn't allowed to, for the socket cut out. And then I, I realised that what I'd done was we decided, because they're going to be bookcases, you don't want a socket cut out in the back of a bookcase. I'd actually come to one, just to one side of the bookcase, uh, of the socket, and the second bookcase, when it was butted against it, centred within the overall dormer. So that that made sense. And then the other one just fitted in neatly because uh, there was a table in a corner. We had to come around that. Uh, so it all worked out fine, and it was absolutely the easiest install. But you still have that moment where you, you – I don't care how many times you've done this, and I'm sure you get this too – for the first time you offer something up into position, there's always that slight butterflies in the stomach, that slight heart in the mouth moment where you think, oh, is it going to fit? Definitely, is it going to work? Definitely. And especially, you know, depending on how much you've had to scribe certain bits of it, 
um, if if it's a you know a flat top on a unit or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, you might have templated it and get got the scribe perfect and everything, but depending on the shapes of the walls, sometimes you just it can't be slid in. You know, it's got to be kind of lifted in at an angle and dropped down, and then then you've run into kind of other problems. Like, oh, is it going to hit this? And what if there's a bump in the wall higher up that it hits when you're trying to slide it down? And yeah, yeah, this, the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, yeah, when I first offered the offered this one up. It looked like there was an awful lot of space. God, I've made it too short. There's loads, you know, you, the idea of making furniture that fits is that it kind of fits in the space. And I'd offer this one up and it looked too short. There was a good, you know, three or four inches above the top to where the, the, the crease line is on the wall where the where the roof comes in. But in fact, when I offered the other one up alongside it, uh, that crease line comes way down the wall. So it's obviously a big bow in the, in the roof. And that's what I'd measured off, thankfully. So, uh, yeah, because again, that's the kind of thing that could, could have caught you out so easily. You measure one end and not the other, and uh, uh, suddenly you've got a bookcase that's too tall, which is even even worse than one that's too short. Yeah, but it was it it all fitted fine. Customers happy, paid up straight away, and uh, yeah, every every all all was well. I came home with a, a smile on my face uh, and uh, a relatively empty workshop, which is really nice. But yeah, this job's been been very difficult. I had all kinds of problems on it, mostly of my own making. Uh, I did a video about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I, I screwed up the cut lists. I had the, the tops cut to the wrong size, uh, which is entirely my fault. I just didn't think it through properly. Uh, and then while I was making it last week, I cut the shelves to the wrong size. Uh, I, I, there's lots of this on, on Instagram. You follow me on Instagram. I'm at 10 Minute Workshop on Instagram. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Measuring Up Podcast. And follow Andy on Instagram as well at Gosford Handyman. Uh, yeah, we, we post a lot of this sort of stuff there. It's, it's short form pictures and that kind of thing. So it, it, it suits this sort of stuff very well, but I had all kinds of niggles with these, uh, with this thing. I cut the shelves the wrong size, so I had to remake all of those. And then I had, uh, I think it was 21, 23, cause I made two spares fluted face frames, sections of these. And I cut all the upright ones, the wrong, to the wrong pencil line as well. Oh. I was working over the weekend to get it done. Uh, so it was just one of those jobs, but, you know, eventually, eventually it got done. I turned the workshop into a spray booth, got it all painted, uh, uh, and that all worked out fine, and I got it fitted yesterday, and I can, you know, walk away from that with all the the regret of a man scraping <clears throat> mud off his boots, as they say, and goes. It's always a nice feeling, though, when you've... When you know it's done and the customer's happy and the workshop's cleared out and you can now do a bit of a tidy up and catch up with stuff and get ready for the next job and it's it's kind of a nice feeling and yeah absolutely well it's it's what I wanted to get this done not not you know just because I wanted to get paid obviously but because we're we're actually away we've been away by the time you listen to this podcast but we're away next week so I wanted to get the workshop squared away and settled down and and I, I still haven't opened the boxes of my CNC yet. So I'm trying to have a, a rummage through those this afternoon, see what's in there. Awesome. So you're going to, so the CNC is actually coming out today then. That's it. Well, we'll, we'll open the boxes and see what's in there. I think is, uh, uh, yeah. And see what's involved. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all, it's all good. And I've got uh, a, a decent chunk of work when I come back. And uh, of course I'm, I'm getting myself slightly organized for Maker Central as well. Maker Central, uh, uh, May the 11th and 12th will be there. Uh, with a podcast stand G twenty five, come and come and say hello. Uh, podcast stand uh, is is 
all the podcast sort of promotion, but we'll be there promoting ourselves as well as 10 Minute Workshop and as Gus for Handyman as well, of course. And we'll have all kinds of uh, stuff for you to buy because we do need to uh, try and fund, <laughs> try and mitigate the costs of this. Yeah, try and fund this as well. I think I think there's probably a video in uh, to be made in uh, uh, the overall costs of putting on a show like this, putting on a uh, uh, having a standard of trade. It's really like quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. When you when you start looking into it, it's um, you know there's a cost of the stand which is not in- inconsequential, but everything else as well, like banner advertising and populating the stand with tables and whatever else. Uh, hotels, we've got to get stuff there, accommodation. You start adding it up, and then you kind of think, I'm going to stop adding this up now, because <laughs> you don't want to think about it anymore. But we're looking forward to it. It should should be good. We're going to try and do a little bit of recording while we're there as well. So Yeah, so we're getting ourselves all, all sort of organised, or at least I am starting to get I know you are, you've been organised already, naturally. Oh, I'm still nowhere near I've been dragged screaming and kicking into the 20th century. I have a, uh, a contactless payment card reader now, which is uh, terribly exciting. I've no idea how it works or how to take a payment, but... Uh, they, they are awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, I've, I've got it, and it's connected and to, to my banking out and all that sort of stuff, so I need to read through some more instructions or, uh, or, or get some lessons or something. I'm thinking of doing a video about it, actually, because I've, I've been running these for quite a long time, and um, yeah, the, yeah. they are great and there's so much you can do yeah with them. you must know a couple of the tips yeah and things, right? um yeah i mean there's not a lot to it really you know once you've got the app on your phone but obviously you want to customize the invoice template and stuff so it's got your logo on and stuff you don't have to do that but. okay i mean mine mine i mean the, i know we've, we're not going to mention them by name because if they want to mention they can flip and pay for some advertising exactly. space. but uh the, the one i've got it just opens to a library and i'm not sure what you're supposed to do with that you're supposed to put rates and things in there no you don't have to do that i don't you can set up products and stuff but yeah i don't do that i just put in the price in the description and i just put the customer's address as a description and that does does the job for me uh, okay but you can yeah, I, I haven't had a look at that at all if you sell actual products then to save you having to type in the same product name all the time you can add that as a in your product list, and is then it, it's pre-populated and right, has a okay. price. And so that might be useful to Maker Central if we're you know if we're selling pencils or whatever. Yeah, ten measures. But that sort of thing, it's perfect for jobs where almost every job is different. Mm. Uh, it would take far too long. You'd be standing on uh, the customer's like front doorstep. Oh, I'll just type in all the details. Uh, so I just put the their address as a description, yeah. um, and and then just charge them how, however much. And uh, and it just works flawlessly, really. And yeah, cool. at, I've had one time where I didn't have an internet connection, um, right. and the the. Customer- but that was with your old phone, Andy. Now you got your new phone. It's all it's all going to be totally different. It was yes. So obviously that that won't happen now. Uh, but the customer very kindly let me just temporarily hook onto their Wi-Fi to use theirs. Oh, cool. Um, and. That that was the only time that I've ever had a problem because you do have to have an internet connection. Yeah. Um, but these days, mobile phones it doesn't generally always got an internet connection. But um, so yeah, they they work really really well. I mean, the time was, of course, when when these card readers you know, you had you couldn't buy them, you had to rent them, which is a, a a real con. And then you get you got charged by if you're a retailer, you'd have to have a rental thing, and then you got charged. Every time you use them, and they get charged again when you get the money 
transferred into your account and all that sort of stuff. Whereas I think you'd still do. I think I it, think you still do. Yeah, yeah, there'll be there'll be charges applied. Yeah, um, but at least now you can buy the things outright, and everybody has a deal on them where they're going for about twenty quid. Yeah, which is uh, you know it's, it's got to be worth having, isn't it? Oh, I think it's it's amazing. I mean, for twenty quid, as I say, that before you'd be renting the card reader for maybe forty pound a month. Yeah. And then you'd be paying like crazy fees on top of that. Yeah. Um, and now you can just buy the card reader outright for 20 quid. And then you you pay a much smaller fee. Yeah. Which yeah, you just make sure that you've... It's a percentage, isn't it? You know, yeah. And uh, it's just a, a small percentage of the the value of the sale, basically. But when when you add up how much the card operator is getting, it's not a lot. The, the idea is that what that, they're having like, to do in the back end, do you know what I mean, for for the cover the cost of the card reader at, at about yeah. anything else. But then, of course, they've got lots of people like us who who are using them. So that's yeah, it's, it's a volume the, thing, the, isn't the, it? The, the back end is like you know, once it's built, it doesn't cost anything to to add another user, does it? Yes, so, uh, exactly, or very little. Yeah. A bit like Patreon, which um, interestingly. That is what sent me down the the rabbit hole of looking into the whole of moss, the yeah, moss yeah. thing. So, are you are you looking at alternatives as well? Because I am too. Yeah. Well, we get we get supported very generously through Patreon, and thank you very much to all our wonderful Patreon supporters. You can support the podcast, of course, through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash measuring up podcast, and increasingly, uh, they, they don't Patreon don't take that much. They take more than the card issuer, for example, takes on these contactless payments. They don't take anywhere near as much as YouTube, put it that way. <laughs> uh, no, let's put it that way, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, you know, you you see the amount of uh, donations that, that we receive and then you see how much <laughs> we get and it's a big old chunk. Well, my, my frustration with it, with it was when they started charging VAT, because I could never understand that, because it was like, well, hold on, you're an American company, why are you charging VAT? Mm. And anyway, I'm not VAT registered. If I went to these people directly and said, can can you donate and I'll give you access to, to extra content, I wouldn't be charging VAT because I'm below the VAT threshold. It's only because it's having to go via Patreon yeah. that there basically there's no option but for the VAT to come through. And that's what got us into digging into this. And it's because of this whole EU VAT MOS thing, uh, the digital access to digital content, yeah. digital services, that Patreon have to charge VAT. That's why uh, they are they are doing it. So th- there's basically no way out of it unless I set up effectively my own Patreon because any other payment provider would have to do the same thing. To do the same thing, yeah. So the only way I can do it is if I completely uh, bypass the middleman of, of Patreon and set up my own, whether it's a membership portal or, yeah. uh, you know, some sort of restricted access thing. But then yeah. the, I'd have the, all the management of it. Yes. And I don't know if it would be worth it for the extra little bit i would well yeah. i mean it's 20 percent. yeah it's, it, it is it's a, a you know it's a fair and it's option. 20 it's not just 20 percent, but it's 20 percent that i'm not having to pay it's 20 percent that you as our supporters are having to pay and you are, are very kindly paying um and it's just it, it's out of our control and and there's literally nothing we can do about it it's it's eu legislation uh that that came in as i say in january 
and any company in the world selling services into the EU has to charge it for digital services. Uh, and as I say, it's very interesting the number of smaller businesses that you buy digital plans from and stuff like that that aren't charging VAT and should be charging mm. VAT, who, as I say, are probably just blissfully unaware. Quite possibly, yeah. They, they should be jumping through these... Um, these flaming hoops, hoops yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. At, at the moment, it's it, it does the job... And I have no intention of changing it because it, it works very well, the Patreon thing. Uh, I think they need to be very careful of that they don't do very much for their money, you know? Well, other than they've built the back end to... to yeah, they've built yeah, a platform. Yeah. Um, the other thing as well is that I think we're regarded as um, legacy Patreon people like... Um, and they're bringing out new things where anyone setting up new accounts on Patreon, uh, they're going to end up paying h- higher fees and charges and things. Oh, right. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I literally just got a notification through a day about that. I'd, I'd heard about it on the grapevine. Right. Um, and I, I got this notification saying that uh, they're bringing out some new tier, but don't worry, it won't affect you mm. because... You're a, a loyal, loyal, long term. Um, yeah, I can't remember what the term was, but it was basically a way of saying anyone new joining Patreon is going to pay more. Yeah, um, strange to make the systems better and more secure. Of course, it will. Yeah, I think I find I still find uh, Patreon messaging to be a real mess. Um, I find it. I find the app thoroughly confusing, uh, especially with regard to, to messages, because the you finding how to reply to somebody as a message rather than and rather than writing a new comment is very, very unclear. Um, I, I, I used to work for a guy who always swore that the problem with traffic signs in towns was that they were always put in by people who knew where they were going. And what he meant by that was that, you know, you, you'd come to a point and you really need a sign to say, you know, old town this way. Yeah. But because everybody knows where the old town is, they didn't have that. Right? <laughs> if, you, if, if somebody actually doesn't know where they're going, plans this, then you get a different sort of, a different approach to it all. And yeah, it's, uh, I, I find it very awkward to use. I, I think I've said before that Patreon is the only, just about the only thing where I go running back to the, uh, uh, to the to a web browser on my actual computer rather than using the app. Yeah, I generally only use it in in the web browser. I, I do occasionally accidentally click on a notification on my phone and it brings me it into brings the app, app and yeah. then I'm like, ah, I don't I don't know what. Yeah, it makes no I, sense. I'm not al- I'm not alone in that either. We did get a little bit of feedback, a little bit of follow up from. I don't know if I can name him, but um, bum, bum, bum. Uh, so yeah, I did have a little bit of follow up on that. A little bit of feedback uh, uh, from Michael. He said uh, he's loaded Patreon onto his phone and registered online. However, he's been a- unable to find us. I uh, found the app, but it's not very user friendly. Tell me, <laughs> tell me about it. So regrettably, he's de- deleted the app and everything with it. Um, continue to listen to your podcast with interest. I, I don't know if you can use the. I thought the app was for the creator side of it, isn't it? Or, or can you use the app to. Um, no, you? I think it's for the. If you just want to watch content of people who you support, um, then you can use the app. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I don't know. Normally, okay. you would just search. Oh, I, d- I don't know because because every every time I use it, it, it logs me in and you know it goes straight to my creator page rather than a, a right a user page. I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm presuming you can just use it as a, a normal user. Same here. Obviously, it goes straight onto our creator page since we've got that. Exactly. Um, but I'm assuming if I don't know, let us know on Twitter or or via um, the the or via comment, Patreon. Uh, via Patreon. Don't let us know. Via we'll never no, no, we'll never see it. <laughs> the the Patreon comment system it, it's really hard to track. It is new comments coming in. So if we do take a while to get back to you on Patreon, don't worry, we will eventually catch up. Yeah. It's just, it's really jumbled up how we see things from our end. So sometimes yeah. you, you'll get notifica- you'll get notifications in for certain things several times, and then you'll get no notifications at all for other comments. And it'll be like, oh, when did they post that? I've heard nothing about that. Yeah. And you'll go on and, and you'll find it hidden away somewhere. And then we, we kind of catch up. But um, So, yes, bear with us on Patreon yeah. comments. We will catch up. But having said all of that, please, 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 please continue to support the show via Patreon because it is basically the, the only – way that we've got at the minute of supporting the show yeah absolutely and and you might think that two blokes sitting around a microphone and talking doesn't cost anything well it costs us uh, plenty in terms of time and effort and andy takes ages to edit the podcast mostly because we talk too much but um <sighs> you know it, there's there's a lot of time and effort gone into this the the back end side of things for the podcast is huge and and uh yeah so thank you to everyone on patreon you are literally mm. helping to keep the lights on and without that uh the i'll say right now the show wouldn't exist so yeah uh the the folk on patreon even if you're just putting in a, a dollar uh every dollar counts absolutely and it just helps us keep the show running so if you just go to patreon.com slash measuring up podcast um and you get access to the um, exclusive after show on that where we talk about secret things and it uh, <laughs> and then don't talk about the secret thing and and it just helps us to keep the the show running cuz um there's there's literally no other way that we can keep the show running at the minute because uh one of the problems is is that in the UK podcasts are a relatively new thing and a lot of marketing departments at big companies haven't quite caught up with what podcasts are. And as such, finding sponsors for a show like this is very difficult because you're having to kind of teach them what a podcast is before you can even explain why sponsoring it would be a good idea and it's a highly targeted market. Absolutely. Uh, early on, I, I had a conversation with the uh, head of marketing at a major tool company to see if they were, we, we were chatting about stuff for the, for the YouTube channel. And I mentioned the podcast and, uh, the, the head of social media at a significant tool brand had never listened to a podcast. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's the kind of uphill battle. That's the marketing people we've got. So then they have to sell it to like the, the powers. That be. Yeah, that's right. So if the marketing people don't know what a podcast is, then the people who actually sign the check just turn around and say, oh, well, I don't know what that is. No, we'll just stick with traditional methods. Yeah. And it's really, really short-sighted and it's very frustrating, especially when you see certain companies where you know yeah. the people who listen to this show would probably love to hear a, a little sponsorship slot from, I'll, I'll not say who, mm-hmm. but people who, it's it's the exact people who would buy stuff from that 
shot from them. And it would mean not always pointing people to the likes of Amazon and, and things. Yeah. And and then you get in touch and they're, they're just like... Exactly. No, exactly. we don't really know what a podcast is, not interested. And the other thing, of course, uh, although we are a relatively small niche kind of podcast, uh, it is it is very specialised. We have a highly motivated uh, and very, very interested audience for, for these types of products. And if you want to reach... <laughs> That audience that is highly focused uh, and very targeted that normally costs an awful lot of money you you know to to market yourself to an audience like that you'd normally use the sort of scattergun approach so you you know blunderbuss your your marketing money over a much wider range whereas you could actually be much more sort of laser focused by concentrating on an audience like ours uh, the guys. Yes, who are extremely interested in your product. Anyway, that's uh, that's enough for the commercial for our podcast. Um, yeah, well, if if you do happen to know people in marketing departments at big companies, and we're not specifically talking about this show, but podcasts in general, do spread the word about what podcasts are. And if you want to keep this sort of thing going, obviously the, the there's a cost to that. Um, and just spread the word, you know, just spread the word about the show, mm. spread the word about what podcasts are to people, because there's a lot of, you know, the, I would say probably the vast majority of people sitting in, in the UK are still blissfully unaware of what, what a podcast yeah. is. Well, I, I I know as well that we've introduced some of our audience to podcasts by, by starting this podcast. We've had, I know that because of the feedback we've had that uh, some people for some people, for some listeners, this is the first podcast that they've listened to. Yeah, and as, and as a result, they've gone on to find others. So you know, we're, we're uh, fighting the good fight for podcasts everywhere. Exactly, exactly. So spread the word, tell everyone about this show, and tell everyone about podcasts, and then they can all be drawn in and addicted like I am, and we are. <laughs> yes, there are so many. So yes, what are we talking about this week? Um, do you want to go? Uh, do you want to go some, for some uh, feedback? Well, I had a really good message back uh, from. Karam, and I would just like to thank um, Karam for the message about the whole covenants on new build houses. And oh yes, I saw that. Yeah, that came into the uh, show email. You can uh, email us, of course, contact at measuringuppodcast dot com. Uh, we'll uh, get an email to us. We had a few good emails actually. Uh, you you go on with the uh, the, the one from Karam. Yeah, uh, well, I'll not go into the detail because it's um, quite legal speak and well it's, uh, he's put it across in a very easy to understand way but we talked about it on a show a, a couple of episodes about which is just as well for us <laughs> yeah yeah and uh it was all about the fact that uh, are we kind of blindly running into a society where no tradesman can own a van because it's excluded in the covenants of every new build house that's getting created yeah that you're not allowed to park vans on your your own property on the driveway or on the estate or you know anywhere and eventually obviously more and more new builds were really really limiting the options for where tradesmen can live yep. and i don't understand how uh and and cram was saying that it, it's certainly a legally enforceable thing uh it's a very complex area and whether or not the developers or whoever um, the kind of owns the covenant, whether or not they would actually bother to enforce it is another whole matter. But the point is, is that it shouldn't be there in the first place. It's it's mm. crazy 
to say, I mean, what we're basically doing is creating a society that doesn't have any tradespeople. Yeah. I mean, presumably you have to have your van parked outside your house at, at the end of the day. Uh, I, I wish I could park my van outside my house. We, we've got residence parking uh, and, you know, fortunately we are, we are allowed to have two vehicles uh, for residence parking. Otherwise I'd have to have a, a business permit, which costs a lot of money. And, uh, yeah, I mean, basically it's, it's residence parking. So I, I pay for a permit for the immediate area and it gives me the right to park a vehicle in one of those bays, uh, for a, for an annual fee, a few hundred quid a year. But you can park a van there. But yes, but I can, I can park the van. Yeah. Yeah. There's no restrictions on the actual vehicle. Yeah. Uh, I think there are height restrictions, so you can't. Like a bus, for example. Which is fair enough, you know. And, um, I think you have to draw a line, but the line seems to be massively uh, against tradespeople, um, the way things are going. And yeah. I, I, I can't understand how it's legal. Surely it's against... I mean, I understand how the covenants are legal and I understand how they're enforceable, but I would love to know whether or not it's, A, ever been enforced, never been fought against... Because surely there's some sort of human rights violation going on that tradespeople aren't allowed to have vans if you live in a new build estate anymore. It just seems yeah, crazy. Seems, yeah, seems crazy. Seems crazy. Coming back to what we were saying at the beginning of the show about all these little restrictions and little bits of bureaucracy that are yeah, creeping in across the board, and it just makes it. It's, eventually you're not going to have we're not going to have any tradespeople in this country and it's all these little things mm. that are all adding up to make one great big um not a problem but a, a great big kind of area that people just don't want to work in because there's too many restrictions and yeah 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 so interesting um so yeah thanks for the feedback on on that side of things really interesting if anyone ever hears about whether this has ever been enforced about people not being allowed to park their van outside their own house uh, due to covenants on the property. Uh, would love to hear more about that because I think that's criminal. Anyway, what else have we got? Uh, we've got some uh, great feedback, just, uh, just some general Positive feedback from Ryan. Uh, he says, Jim, not to drop your line to thank you for a great show. He's in the process of catching up and he's currying on the Christmas 2018 show, so not too far to go, Ryan. Uh, slowly working towards building his own garden workshop and the advice that we have offered has been invaluable during the planning. So uh, excellent. Hoping to make it to Maker Central in May. Will he definitely stop by the stand and say hi? That's stand G25 at Maker Central. Looking forward to seeing you there, Ryan. And we got uh, a lovely note from Andrew. I'm not sure if he wanted us to mention his second name, so I'll I'll just say Andrew. And he's really, really kindly sent me and Peter a couple of Kindle e-books. So thank you so much for that, Andrew. That is absolutely awesome. And it was all down to... Um, we were chatting about... Uh, I think I mentioned, how much do you think I'm making from this channel? and taking taking on staff to help do the editing and all that sort of thing. And, That's right. Uh, <laughs> and he mentioned and the thumbnails, yeah. um, Life Leverage by Rob Moore and saying that we should have a read of it. So, And he sent us a couple of Kindle e-books. So thank you so much for that, Andrew. I will. That's very generous of you. Thanks, Andrew. That's fantastic. Uh, I'll get that downloaded. In fact, I've had that downloaded onto my Kindle. I'll, uh, I'll have a good read of that uh, on my on my flights when I'm going away 
soon. So, yeah, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, the, the only chance I generally get to read is um, on holiday. And it's similar, it's similar to yourself, and you were saying you'd probably read it on the flight or something. And, and that's kind of one of the rare moments where you've got no other distractions. You can't go on the internet. You can't check YouTube comments. And, <laughs> and, and I do enjoy a good book when I'm on holiday and, and that's other than that I never get a chance to read I don't know about you but I, I very rarely get a chance to read uh, I, I've usually I've usually got a book on the go and I usually snatch sort of 10 minutes of an evening it's my kind of you know in bed just read for, for 10 minutes just to blot out everything else the uh, uh, the, the crazy sort of circus of ideas <laughs> that runs around my head when I get into bed and start going to sleep or trying to get to sleep. Suddenly all these sort of YouTube ideas keep flashing up and uh, yeah, yeah, the, the crazy, crazy circus carnival of, uh, of madness. Uh, so yeah, it, it's good to have a, a quick read of something else just to try and dampen those down a little bit. Uh, but other than that, no, it's mostly, uh, it, as you say, flights, being a passenger somewhere or, or, or wherever, anywhere where we don't have to concentrate too much on, on where we're going. It's quite nice just to be able to pull out a book and uh, and have a quick read. Have you done many audio books? No, I found they they get in the way too much. I, I did, so I've got two problems with them. First of all, is the the narration. The whoever's reading it can change. Uh, for me, anyway, can completely change the character of a book. So that's probably me just being picky. But I've I've had some books that were. Oh, so badly read. Uh, they they just put me off completely. Uh, and some of them are sometimes they they're almost like plays, and they're dramatised. You get you know sound effects and doors closing and you know floorboards creaking or, or whatever it is, which is, which I find off putting. Um, I quite like uh, the BBC do Radio Four. Well, radio plays as audiobooks, which are quite good. Um, so it's almost like a, it's a performance, but it's it's made for radio, so it's you know it's it's designed to be listened to. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but audiobooks, uh, uh, not so much. I uh, I usually need to, if I'm doing something else, I want to be doing something else rather than. Listening to a book, yeah, you know what I mean. It's, it's yeah. I, I, I certainly think listening to them in the workshops just not doable because no. there's too much dipping in and out every time there's a tool running and, and exactly just kind of keeping the thread running. Um, my my major problem with audiobooks is I I just fall asleep while <laughs> listening. To them. I, as soon as I put one on, I find it so relaxing. I just nod off, and that's fine when you're on the beach, but when you're driving... Yeah, not so good. It's it's not so safe. I, I like the idea of audiobooks, but, yeah, ev- every time I've tried one, lying on the beach or something, I've, I've just nodded off, and then it's like, where did I get to? And, yeah, <laughs> need some sort of detector where it just stops when you fall asleep. That's right, at least with a, uh, with a, an e-book, you don't lose your page. Yeah. Whereas with an audiobook, it just keeps playing whether you're whether you're awake or not. My, my wife's an avid avid Kindle reader and fully embraced the technology when when it came out and to the point of wanting to basically ditch every single book in the house. And, yeah. and it's like, well, can we keep the nice ones? <laughs> it's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm never going to read a real book again. And, and literally for the last well, how, since Kindles were invented, 
um, and she reads a lot. Yeah, uh, and and she just loves the Kindle. She wouldn't wouldn't be yeah. without it. But uh, too oh, too many adverts for Amazon. Good grief! Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there, there are other other ebooks readers are available. Although Amazon's the big dog because it was the first one. I was a big e- ebook fan, but again, Amazon was the first one that had the actual content and the hardware together in the same place at the same time. Whereas before the Kindle came along, it was a real battle to get books that worked with your device. It's crazy. Uh, so yeah, big big fan of Kindles as well. And I mean, we used to take. When the kids were little, we, I, I think we took the entire Harry Potter series of books with us in physical form on a holiday once and left them there because we couldn't be bothered to bring them back. And it was, you know, we'd, we'd literally have suitcases full of books. Yeah. Because um, we, we, me and my wife both read a lot, certainly for holidays. You know, it's not, you know, easily do a book a day, sometimes more. So you'd end up taking sort of 16 books each with you. <laughs> They're not coming back. <laughs> not carrying those in two yeah, directions. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was it was nice to be able to have everything in one thing. As long as, of course, you you don't lose it, break it, or drop it in the pool, then you're really stuffed because you lose all yeah. your books <laughs> rather than just having a damp one. As I say, I, I don't read. I don't read. I just don't have time. I think when when I get into bed at night, it, and I'm in the bad habit habit of that tends to be my only chance to catch up on. Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that, which is bad, really, because it means I'm basically working in bed until I then fall asleep with the phone on my head. And your your brain kind of you fall asleep with your brain still in work mode, which probably isn't isn't good. Uh, anyway, so uh, woodworking, woodworking. This shows about woodworking, isn't it? We need to talk about that. Let's talk about. Here's an interesting one. Do you view yourself? As a joiner or a cabinet maker or a carpenter? Oh, goodness. Those are such um, ancient <laughs> names, aren't they? Ancient categories. Because uh, I, I sometimes get people commenting and getting really wound up about the fact that... Oh, well, some, it goes both directions. Um, sometimes I get people saying, you shouldn't be referring to yourself as a handyman because uh, you're a cabinet maker, and yeah. then I have to explain, yeah, the, the handyman thing is my YouTube thing. My business is a cabinet maker uh, joinery business, and and then they're fine with that. And then you get other people who say, you shouldn't be calling yourself a joiner, you're a cabinet maker. And then you get other people saying, you're not a joiner unless you make things out of proper joints. And then Yeah, proper wood. Yeah, and and all you're doing is butt joints and MDF, so therefore you're not a joiner, and it's... Uh, you know, you get yeah. all the, this, and, and you're not a cabinet maker because all you make yeah. are cabinets. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, I mean, in case it isn't clear, uh, traditionally a carpenter would be somebody who felled the trees and, and roughly dressed them and maybe planked them. A cabinet maker, excuse me, a joiner uh, would be somebody who took those planks and made them into uh, joined them together to make doors or windows or whatever else. And a cabinet maker would be somebody who did the finer, more detailed work, like uh, housings for grandfather clocks or you know, cabinets for your home. But then to complicate matters further, a, cab- a carpenter, or, or and it varies depending where you are in the world, but a carpenter would fit the things that a joiner has built. 
Yeah. So a carpenter would typically do the on-site stuff and the joiner would typically do the workshop stuff. But again, that seems to, that terminology seems to vary. Yeah. Uh, and then we get into the whole, the whole thing about master carpenter because master carpenter isn't a, it's not a, a recognised term in Britain, whereas in the US and elsewhere, uh, it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's a whole mess. I, I tend to call myself a woodworker. Yeah, I, I just don't uh, get if hung, we're if we're being picky I don't about get it. Hung up on it? I don't get hung up yeah. on it. No, I don't either. It, it's you know people misuse the terms all the time. If you are a time served cabinet maker, then I can understand why you might get uptight about somebody who simply butt joints MDF or uses a domino, uh, calling themselves a cabinet maker. But to be honest, uh, we are entitled to do that. There is there is nothing to stop me saying that. I'm not suggesting I'm a time-served cabinet maker, uh, other than the fact that I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, I haven't, you know, we've said we have no formal qualifications in this. It, it, you know, you could, you could work with a master craftsman for, for 20 years, um, and not get any kind of badge at the end of it, but you would, you know, you wouldn't be time served because you haven't got that little tick in the box from a, a very rich qualifications authority who who are all commercial entities at the end of the day. But they're okay. We're going down that. I don't want to go down that rant. We've, we've, <clears throat> yeah, well, we, I feel we've done the, the apprenticeship thing <laughs> once or twice already. We have. Um, so, yes, I mean, uh, uh, I, I call myself a carpenter and cabinet maker because those are, the, are terms that most people recognise. Um, I, I don't think many people really make the distinction. Many, many punters, many, many customers or clients really make the distinction these days between certainly between carpenters and cabinet makers, uh, maybe joiners, they may realise that if you want a, a door made or a window, then you go to a joinery. But, uh, yeah, I, I call myself whatever I can, really. Yes. I think it's interesting that, that the terms are so differently used across the planet, you know, and, the, and depending on where you are, even where you are in the country. And as I say, folks saying... You know, if if you're making cabinets and stuff, you're not a joiner. And it's like, well, I know many joinery companies who call themselves joiners who do nothing other than make fine oak furniture. Yeah. And they call themselves joiners. So, <laughs> and then you've got like furniture maker and, and stuff like that that comes in into the equation. And, and well, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's not something to get hung up about, you know. Have pride in your work and do a good job, and the proof's in the pudding. You know, the the mm. develop your portfolio. Yeah, uh, I mentioned in a video that um, I did about uh, the the domino, and I mentioned that it, some people get a bit snippy about if you're using tools like dominoes to do the joining for you, uh, and they get a bit sneery about, oh, it's just a production machine, as if, you know, production is a, is a dirty word kind of thing. I had a great comment from in, on that video from a, a genuine, honest-to-goodness, time-served cabinet maker who said that he uses a domino all the time and he thinks it's fantastic. It's, it's you know, it's a modern production tool, just like hand planes were once modern production tools. <laughs> you know, it's It's just a natural progression, the same as... Uh, 
uh, big sort of industrial planers and things replaced hand planes to for a lot of that sort of work it's just a, a you know it's it's it, things move on uh, not everything can stay mired in the past uh, people will of course use use whatever current production methods are uh, uh, that are uh, applicable of the day things move on in terms of tools and methodology and the materials that we're using mdf obviously um which uh yeah that that's another whole debate <laughs> it's not wood of course it is it's made of recycled phone books i've actually read that on a on a there was a podcast i think i tagged you in on that didn't i yes admittedly it was quite an old one and uh yeah yeah dear me but again you know mdf quality varies so much around the globe mm. you can understand why it's got a bad name in areas where you can't buy good MDF. Um, yeah. Oh, here's a... Uh, have, you got, have you got any MDF stories this week, Andy, by the way? I have got an MDF story, a little MDF story. What do you know? Um, which, you know how... I, I'm not going to give a shout-out to the giant orange box shifter nope. store. Um, who? <laughs> it, it's your UK equivalent of your Lowe's and all that sort of thing. Yeah, um, but we were chatting about some of the stores selling Medite, yeah, and, and and a decent brand. Yeah, we saw that. And I have an interesting fact surrounding that. Oh, okay. Uh, they, they were selling Chronospan, right? The the trouble is, it's not public, and uh, unless you see the shipment come in, the label on the piece of wood says made by. Dot 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 limited, which is some subsidiary of the box shifter. Okay, um, but it's not made by them. So the shipments of Chronospan in this big store, and then I noticed underneath the shipments of Chronospan were great big pallets of uh, Medite. Ah, oh. and I had a chat with someone there saying, um, "I see you've got a big stack of Chronospan there, and uh, Medite underneath it, as if that's the thing waiting to come next." Are you in the process of switching over to Medite? And they said yes. Interesting. So it looks like, but they don't do MR, ah, so it doesn't really resolve any no. problems. Yeah. I did say, are you going to be getting moisture resistant in? And they said, oh yeah, we'll be doing that. And it's like, yeah, mm, you don't know what it is. I'll yeah. believe it when yeah. I see it because I, I don't think, yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But it, it's standard trade MDF, but it's still good stuff. But it's not the the MR stuff. Uh, you shot me a, a message in the week to say, uh, are you going crazy or does six mil MR MDF actually exist? Cause, cause you've, you've been running around trying to find some. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, what, what was the verdict on that? Oh, absolutely. I, I, Can you readily buy six mil MR? Yeah. I, I sent you a picture back of me holding some. Nowhere up here has it to the point that the yeah, six mil M, M, MR MDF Medite, uh, I can I can walk into my local yard and get get as much as a little as I want. Well, you know my story. I, I'm, I don't want to shout out and badmouth um, the the suppliers up here, but yeah, the last supplier that I spoke to who did do normal eighteen mil, and I was trying to get the six mil off them, uh, said that six mil MR doesn't exist. And I was like, I'm sure it does, but uh, <laughs> oh well, there you go. And that's from the timber merchant. Yeah, crazy. I, I have to say, I'm, I know I'm very fortunate that I've got a really good yard, you know, local to me, 
who are still in business. Uh, I you know if they if they chose to close down and sell the site, that'd be worth an awful lot of money. So I'm just I'm just so happy that they're still happy to be uh, to be in the timber business. But I I got a neighbour a couple of doors down from me, uh, a workshop neighbour who's a metalwork excuse me precision engineer, and his metal stockholders just uh, called it a day. There was a little little yeah little metal stockholder in a little industrial estate just up the road a little way. And, uh, yeah, they're closing down, so... For any particular uh, reason, or do you... Uh, the, the guy who owns it is in his 70s. Just retiring. And just retiring, yeah. Is that enough? Well, here's, a, uh, here's an interesting one, talking about timber yards that could just sell up the land and make loads of money. Uh-huh. You know the timber yard that you were talking about last time that wouldn't cut MDF up here? And I didn't. Oh I yes, didn't, I didn't mention their name, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you read out the comment from in, someone. It came in through one of the comments. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. And someone went in and they, they refused to cut MDF because they didn't have. Well, they they used the big C. Gives you word. cancer and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And uh, anyway, I was there the other day, um, picking up some oak for a project, and um, they. I saw, I, yeah, I need to talk to you about that. Yeah, yeah they, they are um, selling because they're pretty much in central Newcastle and uh, flogging the land and moving. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, they are literally doing that. They are upping sticks yeah. and, and flogging their plot and, and shifting. Yeah. On the plus side, they're shifting to a much better location. And um, they, they said that it'll be almost like, uh, I'm not holding my breath here, <laughs> but they, they said that it'll be almost like a proper, Builders merchant, but for for timber, you know, like a, like a proper kind of drive in. Because I, I know, but like in Germany and stuff, you you can physically drive your car into the big box shifters to to you know if you want a whole load of wood, you can just drive your car into the into the into the yard into the yeah. uh, open section of the yard and just fill it up. Which yeah, imagine yeah. doing that here and it, it just would never happen. Anyway, yeah. so um, they were, and I had a little chat. I didn't. So mention the podcast and stuff because sometimes that can get a little bit or well not awkward but uh i, I didn't want to embarrass them or, or anything uh but i was asking about the mdf thing and i think it's because they just generally don't do mdf they're, they're not really cut out for they they don't have proper dust extraction or or anything like that which they probably really should for, for all the other wood uh, uh, they should you know all, all we'll say it again all wood dust is hazardous yeah yeah but you should be using proper dust, dust collection um, if you if you're cutting timber i think there are legal requirements if you are cutting mdf yes and they don't meet those legal requirements oh, okay fair enough yeah for, yeah, okay. for cutting mdf and i think that's why so i think the the Big C word was dropped in as as probably an excuse for the fact that they don't have the dust extraction that they they should have if they are going to be cutting that sort of material because the dust is nasty but it's nasty because it's fluffy very fine dust. Yeah. So go on, tell tell you, you put a picture on uh, on Instagram about your that little video wasn't it about your uh, lengths getting lengths of uh, of of timber into your truck oh yes yes and uh it was actual proper tree meat wasn't it it was it was yeah what's so that this about is what are you doing? For, what are you up to uh it's a big alcove job that i've got coming up and it's gonna have uh, solid oak tops on the lower units 
and solid oak shelves inside the it's a great big alcove you might be used to it where you are um but up here I, I don't know what what's the typical width of an alcove down in london do you know off the top of your head or they vary they vary yeah they vary so much um i'm in fact i'm going going to have a look at one this afternoon which is 1.75 meters right well this, this is one point <laughs> meters this is 1.65 uh, per side or, or thereabouts, uh, and that's uh, that's unusually it's, it's wide. Really big. Uh, no, normally, normally the widest is about twelve. So they're having floating shelves, and you know, I was saying you know, one point six meter floating shelves. You're kind of reaching yeah. your limits on, even if I use, you know, ply, um, uh, a ply sandwich of of softwoods and ply and all that sort of thing. You're reaching the limits of what that can handle. Um, yeah, you're going to need a, even with a steel front edge, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be okay because the, the way that I do my floating shelves, they are very, very rigid once uh, once it's sandwiched together in that kind of laminate of three layers yeah. and and then glued yeah. and everything. Yeah. Well, when you think of the the number of the the, the length of the glue joint that yeah. has to fail for that for that to move. Yeah, and I, I've done longer floating shelves for but. I think the longest I've done for a single span has been about 1.8 metres, but it's only been for storing shoes and light, right. lightweight things. Um, whereas in an alcove, where it could get used for a massive books and whatever, yeah. load of books or, or whatever. Um, and I've, I've just said, you know, what we might have to do is put a, a centre support in if we find that it does start sagging over time. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd rather try it without because I think it'll look better. Yes. Um, and if you're not putting crazily heavy things on it, like vinyl and, and stuff like that, it'll probably be absolutely fine. Um, it's just you are really on the border of what you can do in a single span without having either, as you say, either a central support or metal reinforcing and, and, and stuff like that. So we're going to see how it goes, yeah. um, but that's not for the oak. Well, that's not what the oak's for because we want the floating shelves to be white. You can paint it, um, and <laughs> well, you could paint it, but the costs would just be staggering, you know. And and as I say, I'd rather go down the route of seeing if it is a problem first, because if it's not a mm. problem, then you know, I know the people who who are this is going in for, and it's quite a nice test case. And I've said to them, look, let let's try it. Yeah. Um, if it's a problem, I'll fix it. But I'm quite intrigued whether or not mm. this particular design of shelf will handle it. I think it will handle it. Okay. And I think it'll be absolutely fine. Uh, but time will tell. So I, I shall feed back because, I, uh, as I say, I know these people. So I can go back in a year's time and see if it's yeah. a sagged at all. I don't think it will. Good. Interesting. The alcoves are so wide that you can't really do two cabinets per side. Because you'd end up with the doors being yeah. almost landscape. Yes. Um, so it, it's having to be three cabinets per side, which I've ended up going. They wanted wood storage for an open fire and all this sort of for a, a wood burning stove. All right. So we've ended up going down the route of having um, two cabinets with shelves. Right. Yeah, I got it. Between them, yeah. where they can store wood. So if you imagine cabinet. Log storage yep. cabinet, cabinet. Yep. per Got side, it. so it basically split it splits each yeah. side into thirds rather than halves, um, because otherwise it just wasn't looking right. Um, when I was putting it together on SketchUp, I really struggling to find a way of getting a, a two cabinet layout 
Yeah, sure. Um, without the doors ending up being crazily wide. Um, so, but it's one of those things until you've had to play with it and kind of gone backward and forwards a few times with a client. And this is the one that I'm actually going to be doing um, the SketchUp video uh, at some point, just kind of chatting about some of the design decisions yeah. and trying different things. And it's like, yeah, just that doesn't look right. And then going backwards and forwards with the client. And then eventually we've settled on what they're happy with and right. what what is practical to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's the widest alcove that I've ever done. Yeah, uh, it's a it's not the widest floating shelf I've ever done, but it's the widest alcoves I've ever done. Um, but as I say, normally the one point two meters or thereabouts. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're not normally that wide. What are you doing? Uh, are you going to have shelves, bookcases all the way up, or it's, so you've got a, a, a double? A double at either end of the alcove and a wood store in between. Mm-hmm. Have you got shelves above the wood store? So the so the lower units are just your bog standard lower units with but with three things in each, and then floating shelves above. So three three floating shelves per side. Oh right, okay, got it. Ab- yeah. Above the lower unit, but on one side they're going to they want a TV in, so I'm going to have to skip a floating shelf. Okay, and then you have to cater the whole design around fitting the TV in but then you don't want the gap to be so huge that it makes the tv look tiny (laughs) so then you have to kind of cater that into the design and then work out okay that's how the tv is going to fit in and and the tv won't look ridiculous so now we know what the spacing for the next shelf up is going to be and then that has to match the shelf on the other side but then we need a shelf an equal spacing below it and then that determines the height of your next shelf above yep. that yep, do you know yep, so that all your shelf spacing's equal so there's a lot of interesting design decisions and then because we we've got the wood storage there's going to be logs constantly taken in and out in so and they out. can't be sh- painted shelves because the paint will just wear off so hence the shelves where the logs are going on are all going to be solid oak um so that's what all the oaks for anyway it's it, it's basically oak shelves in this unit and then oak countertops type thing as well so lots of nice. lots of glue ups which yeah if i had i was gonna say that that oak looked pretty narrow so it's where well, six inch <laughs> lots so of, it's um lots of glue it, it, it's six inch, oh, so, it's, six inch so, it? so it's um three boards per yeah that's not too bad per shelf which isn't isn't too bad they're, they're not very deep these alcoves that's the other thing they're only they're they're only a foot deep oh right um so they're really, really wide and really shallow. Um, and shallow, yeah. yeah. That's what this one is. I'm going to have to have a look this afternoon. Is again, I've only been given dimensions on it, but uh, 1750 wide, but 250 deep. So yeah. So uh, very similar by the sounds of it. Um, but it's yeah. a beautiful room um, with all the original, you know, ornate cornicing and all that sort cornicing of thing. And so stuff. lovely. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it all done. So I've I've got a lot, but. The the prep for this job it's it, it's probably a week's install but it's probably a week of prep mm. you know I, I mean I was out for a day just picking wood up yeah from various because I had to go to one place for the ply another place for the oak the delivery uh, the the MDF of it yeah and you can't you can't get it all in the van at the same time you've got to do separate journeys and all that sort no of stuff. no well I've, I had to get the MDF delivered uh, I had to go to the I had to get the ply cut up so that I could fit it in the truck so i had I had to get that from a place that i know yeah. can do cutting but they don't do the mdf 
and they don't do the oak, so then I'm off to another place to get the oak. And so just picking the materials up took a full day. Um, and then, as I say, I've got lots of glue-ups to do for, for the boards. Um, so all of the prep will, will probably take best part of a week of, of prep. Um, if you include all the delivery of materials yeah, of and, and all that, so but we'll see how it yeah, goes. I'm right. oh, looking forward to it. I don't think I'll be able to film it. No, that's the trouble. Isn't one, it? Once I get out on site, I just need to crack on with the job, and I haven't got. It slows you yeah. down. Are you building it all on site, or are you are you, are you painting as well? Uh, no, they're going to get decorators in. Thankfully, okay. I'm, I'm not doing any finishing other than oiling the oak because I always get really paranoid about leaving unfinished oak. Uh, that that especially you know, with painters around, yeah. and you know they've got young kids, and all it takes is for them to yeah. go around with a felt tip pen. And there's five hundred quid's worth of oak yes. destroyed yes. instantly. You know, so I'd, I'll be putting a finish on the oak just to protect it. Um, but then all of the actual painting, all the white, will be done by decorators. Thankfully, I don't have to do that. Yes. Um, so next week I'll be doing all the glue ups of the oak building all the cabinets, building the doors, um, basically getting everything ready to take. Yeah. And and because it's so it's so big, I'm going to have to make a couple of journeys with all the, yes. all the gear. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll probably drop some of it off next week and then go for the, the following week to do the install, which mm. I'll be starting on the day this podcast comes out. Lovely. So, <laughs> so on the day this episode is released, I will I, – I could – Sit there in the house listening to this. <laughs> That's that, fantastic. That, Happy times. Play it loud. Yeah. I, I might not. I, I might not listen to myself. That would be weird. <laughs> that would be strange, wouldn't it? <laughs> okay. Well, we best wrap it up for today because we're past the one and a half hours. I think we better had Mark, and we'll we'll. Get, I've got some interesting stuff on the uh, for the after show. Uh, on the after show, excellent. I oh, will look forward to hearing that. Um, uh, in order to access the after show, of course, you need to be a Patreon supporter. Um, we want to go a quick shout out to all of our fantastic Patreon pals. Andy, you go first. A massive thank you to Douglas Steele, Thistle Do, Brendan at the Shades Workshop. Tim Bowers, Nick Fajardo, Adrian Millington, Chris Davison, Paul Gardner, Eddie Carroll, James Hewitt, Carl Poutney at the Strawbite Workshop, Steve Avery, Peter Tone, Owen Bullock, Tony Carnell, Adam Padley, Chris Mark Duthie, Max Vietz, Mark Duff and Ben Harker. And I'd like to thank Harry Kappa, John T. Lynch, Duncan, Chris Stokesmore, Ben Campbell from the Colonel Collective, Jason Williams, Wilson Chan, Kevin Steer, Dominique Kajinson, Andy Farmer, Randall Davis, David Chisnell, Kevin Miller, Piece of Timber, Andrew Marnell, James's Man Cave, Graham Bailey, Mike Broom, Rakesh Patel, Paul Cunningham and James Ian Wilson. Music is Silver by Riot and thank you everyone for listening. You can catch us now on the after show over on Patreon and you can use our new fancy swanky RSS feed for Patreon as well, which hopefully you've managed to get that up and running and, and working. Yeah, you certainly can. Uh, please, if you have the time, give us a, a rating on iTunes. iTunes is the big dog in terms of uh, rating and reviewing podcasts. Yeah, and we've got nearly 200 five-star reviews on iTunes. So thank you, everyone, for that. Keep them coming in. It really helps kind of get the show out there, and it is fantastic. You can catch up with us online at Measuring Up PC on Twitter and at Measuring Up Podcast on Instagram. 
And how can we find you online, Peter? Uh, you can find me in all the usual places. I am at 10 Minute Workshop on uh, Instagram and uh, at 10 Minute Shop on Twitter. And I'm at Gosforth Andy on Twitter and at Gosforth Handyman on Instagram. And of course, you can always email us contact at measuringuppodcast.com. We'll always reach us. Uh, that's it, though, for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you over on the after show. See you later. Thank you.